Frederick Dard famously said, A smart man is nothing but a failed idiot. Frederick Dard had never been to Washington or spent time on Facebook or Twitter, where we have more failed idiots than even Mark Twain could make sport of. And I wouldn't call any of them smart. Confused yet? Good. Here's someone to make sense of the madness. His name is Dan Newman. I think the magic word is confused. I don't know about you, but I stay pretty much confused. That's what's thrown at me every day. And I think you're getting the same kind of stuff that I'm getting. And it's confusing. How do we make sense of all the stuff that's going on around us? We have to find some place that's solid, that's secure. We can feel comfortable that we're in the right spot at the right time and that all those things that we don't know about are understand. That doesn't mean that everything's bad. It doesn't. Listen, I had a, I had a Sunday school teacher years and years ago. I can't even remember his name, but I was a, I think a junior in high school, maybe a senior in high school. And it was a, a boy's high school class. And we were going through the kind of stuff that came right after the Vietnam War. So much uncertainty. I mean, we had all been given a draft number. And we could be called up at any day. Of course, we were a little bit young for that. But we had to register for the draft. And we got our numbers when they were doing the lottery. So there was this fear that hung over everybody's head. Because you didn't know what was going on. We did know that our government had started this war in Southeast Asia. We, nobody here could really understand what it was all about. And it was only way after the war that we found out it was about to create a bunch of financial benefits for the bureaucrats that actually ran that war. Evil was everywhere. Kind of like today, don't you think? Anyway, Brother Jackson, C.W. Jackson, that was his name. Brother Jackson said, when you think about, when you're tempted to really worry about something, ask yourself this question. What difference is it going to make 100 years from now? And of course, the answer to every one of those questions about anything is, it's not going to make any difference 100 years from now. So if you're going to be concerned if you're going to be worried about things, pick those that are going to matter a hundred years from now. Things like eternal life, your relationship with God, those kind of things. Those are the ones that we ought to concentrate our time on. And what things are important, were important, will always be important to God, who's going to be around a hundred years from now, by the way. And let's concentrate on those things. How about that? Kind of like pouring your lives out for others. Well, TNN Live is an effort on our part to educate, to keep people informed about things that are going on that we, in most cases, don't have answers for. We don't understand why. We don't understand what is going on. But we do know many of those things that are happening are important and we need to get our arms and our brains around those things. We're going to do another bit of that today. We're going to. 
I want to welcome you to TNN Live. I know there are a lot of new people that log in every day and people that are watching our shows after each show goes into a podcast format and they're picked up by 37 different podcast hosting sites. Whichever is your favorite, you can always get the show. TNN Live, TNN Live. If you don't know how to get it on your podcast um, hosting source, uh, here, let me give you an example. If you have an iPhone, iPhone comes preloaded with a podcast app. It's that little, I guess it's purple app. That's the podcast app. Open that, and in the search feature down at the bottom right, hit search, and then in the search bar, type in capital T-N-N space live, L-I-V-E, with an exclamation point after the live, and then click enter. And our show, its homepage, will pop up. You'll see a, a characterization of my ugly mug, and the latest show will always be at the top. Every show we've ever done, you can go back in the history of these hosting sites and look at them by date. Don't miss a show. We don't want you to miss any information. So here we are, by the way, if you didn't know it already, we're in our broadcast studios down in Miami, Florida. We'll be here through tomorrow and then back to Louisiana to our home studio but we're not missing a thing. But because we're in Miami, how about some Miami kind of music to start the show? And how about some of this coming from the king, De Gerardo Mejia, a Christian singer? That's right. You may not think so, but he is a Christian. Let's take him to church. For the people, ain't no equal. They used to call me Rico, Mr. Suave. Ladies used to love me, I had it all my way. Plenty of fame and money, then I met with Yahweh. Now they call me loco, cause they think that I'm religious. But no, I ain't the both, y'all. I'm rolling with my socios. Pop up on your TV, cut up all the long hair. Oops, I meant that we've seen. You let the game me vida, and I'ma show you proof. Perdido y sin salida. And I'ma change our loose. So I'ma spit that truth. Spit that truth. We gon' tear this roof. Tear this roof. Gonna praise his name. Praise his name. I hope you knew that. Repita, que 
that I ain't changed, even though I know the master. They smile and tuck behind me, asking questions I won't answer. They wanna try and trap me, but I know just what they're after. So I'ma keep my shirt on, so you don't have to worry. My wife is in the front row with my kids, and I'll be buried. So go and put your hands up, 'cause your boy has been redeemed. And stand up on your feet and give some praise up to the king. sound like South Beach music, Christian music. <laughs> well, it's appropriate because we're in Miami today and we're celebrating a wedding of two amazing people, my nephew, and he found the perfect person and they're giving their vows, vows to each other tonight in a beautiful wedding. We uh, had a great get together last night, just having fun, enjoying life and doing that we concentrate on good stuff, not bad stuff. But what you and I both need to do is we need to commit. If you haven't already, you need to make a commitment to get the facts on everything because it's important to you. I don't care if you're a high school student, if you're a mom or a dad, just got young kids, or if you're retired. We all need to know the truth. What's that scripture say? You shall know the truth and the truth shall set you free, it's really a whole lot better to make a decision about anything and everything when you have all the facts, don't you think? So let me ask you this. Look back over your shoulder. Look in your rearview mirror. Look at what you went through doing the COVID-19. They called it a pandemic. I call it a scamdemic because there were too many things that we were told were true that we should do. And then the flip side of that, things we shouldn't do because they're evil. Too many of those things we find out later flipped exactly 180 degrees away. And the things we were told were good, turns out they were bad. Things we were told to do, things that it turned out we shouldn't do, and vice versa and all of that. Well, guess what? A bombshell report yesterday. Kansas Republican Senator Roger Marshall He's warning us all that a new virus, a new one, could break out of China and cause another worldwide pandemic as he releases what's titled Muddy Waters, a comprehensive new report on the origins of the COVID-19 pandemic. He's the ranking member of the Health, Education, Labor, and Pensions Committee. And staff, they together reviewed more than 50,000 documents for this report. And they found that the COVID-19 virus was created, was created, was created in a lab. And the outbreak was likely the result of two, not one, but two unintentional lab leaks. Now, this is a really comprehensive report, 50,000 thousand documents they perused. This report concludes most likely this was two leaks, Marshall said during a briefing yesterday with reporters. 
the possibility of a lab leak in the September to October of 2019 timeframe, even as early as July or August that year, was followed by vaccine development in November of 2019. And then another lab leak seems to be the most sensible explanation looking back. The report determined that our government was funding gain-of-function research at the Wuhan Institute of Virology. That is a fact that Dr. Anthony Fauci has consistently done everything he can to debunk it. But when it quacks and waddles in the world in which I live, it's pretty much always a duck. I am convinced gain-of-function research was being done on this bat COVID-19 or coronavirus or SARS-CoV-2 virus, and it got out of hand. I think we're in no better shape today than we were a year ago, three years ago. That's as far as I'm concerned. This is Congressman Marshall in response to a question from a reporter. There's nothing proving to me that they're doing this type of research and BSL-4 labs, he continued. That's the labs that are at the top of security and protection from pathogens. Their own documents, he said, continue to show they're understaffed, that they don't have the right facilities to do it in, which is a huge concern. That's why we've been calling for a halt in all viral gain-of-function research until we can get the guardrails up and in place around it. The National Institutes of Health, they have manipulated gain-of-function to be what they say it is and what it isn't. And then they get all layered up. That's according to Marshall, by the way, who's a doctor, an obstetrician. He said viral research should never be done outside of one of these BSL-4 labs. According to the NIH, BSL-4 labs have the most stringent safety and security requirements. Marshall said the U.S. government continues to provide funding to China. Today, we are still giving money in the form of grants to China and Chinese doctors for viral research. But to date, there are no U.S. scientists in Chinese labs oversuing this U.S.-backed research. In other words, we're footing the bill, we're sending them a check, and they're telling us, oh, here's what we're doing with it. Everybody in the room that believes that's what's going to happen, that they're going to be honest and above board and do nothing wrong with our money, raise your hand. I'm looking around, not a hand in the room went up. If we're funding it, Marshall said, they need to conform to our rules, and we need American boots on the ground. He was asked by this reporter if he plans to introduce some type of legislation to require the Chinese government to allow our scientists to be in the labs that receive U.S. government funding. Marshall said this is something that's currently in the works. Now, let me ask you this. Did you, did you not hear something in this report? I just gave you a little bit of it that makes you go, huh? We're actually doing that? This is all factual information. The National Institutes of Health, NIAID, NIAID, that's the division of NIH that Dr. Fauci ran, 
for all these years. Dr. Fauci, the leader who was on the stage at the White House every day giving us our COVID-19 latest about everything. Remember those through two years? He was the science. In fact, he said, you've got to follow the science. And he said this, a direct quote, I am science. In other words, you listen to me. You don't know anything about this. I am the guy. I am the science. Listen to what I tell you. And then he would tell us exactly the opposite. And then he would come back later and double back down on the original claim he made and then change it again. Mask, social distancing, lockdowns, all of those. Dr. Fauci was the expert and he just led us through a maze. Can you come up with a reason, a legitimate reason to believe that everything that was going on was real and based on science? If it was, answer this question. Have you ever seen science change its outcomes day after day after day with the same input, the same outcomes? They just sometimes 180 degrees away from where it was yesterday. This report by Congressman Marshall concluded the Chinese government tried to cover up the initial outbreak of COVID before the WHO declared it a pandemic in March of 2020. Seems like it's longer than three years ago this all began, but it's not. Marshall told reporters yesterday, U.S. government agencies, including the NIH, along with the Chinese government, are still withholding from Congress key information about the origins of COVID. There's information Marshall said he could not access, and he's confident that if he could get his hands on it, it would prove two lab leaks occurred in China. There are key data points that are being held back that could help us prove that, but we can't get to it. Marshall said his office, they're going to keep after it, looking for the origins of COVID, but he reiterated his call for the formation of an independent 9-11-style commission to investigate the origins of the virus. This, my friends, is 100% government gobbledygook. Let me ask you this. Do you realize the United States is the number one nation on the planet in pretty much every area? Now, we've lost some of our spots in things like education. We're way down the line now. In science and research and stuff like that, we're way down the line now. You know why we are? Because the so-called experts in Washington, D.C. have begun to govern the nation not based upon facts or science or truth, but based on social manufacturing coming up with things that are all social, not scientific, and they're forcing them down our throats. They're forcing us to change our lives, everything in our lives, just to conform with the social things rather than the reality of life and the things that go along with that. It's almost like if we don't talk about it, it's not in existence. It doesn't, it doesn't happen. It's a myth. It's like the 2020 election. 
You can't dare question the results of it. You can't even dare to think that it's truthful, the evidence that appeared in numerous courts around the nation that the judges wouldn't even let be presented because of the standing or the lack of standing that the people that brought this information to the courts had. You can't bring that in here. Who are you? And they want us to believe nothing happened. There may have been nothing that happened, but it's highly unlikely. And if they would just let people like me have 100% unfettered access to all of the stuff that went into the 2020 election, especially in those six or seven states, the questionable ones, we could find out, but they don't want the facts to be out there. They don't want the truth to be out there. And just because there are tens of millions of us that would love to get the facts, that's not good enough. That's not sufficient for them to open the door and let us go take a look-see and see if the science shows us the same things that they told us. I'm not a betting man, but if I was and there was a way for me to bet on those results, I bet you we'd find out wasn't exactly what they want us to believe was really happening in 2020. And then, of course, our pandemic, the same thing. All of it went hand in hand. Isn't it that interesting? Timing was we have an election with some irregularities while we're in the middle of a pandemic and a COVID-19 came to the world. We were told it came from nature. And we were told everything we were supposed to do with it, including get vaxxed, get vaccinated. Later this week, we're publishing a story at truthnewsnet.org that busts open. I mean, it obliterates a bunch of the crud that has been portrayed by the media at the behest of bureaucratic entities in our government and big pharma. It will be another bombshell about COVID. That story will be going up today is Tuesday, either Thursday or Friday. I forget which one, but you read them all. So just watch truthnewsnet.org, another bombshell. And how about let's switch to a Hunter Biden bombshell, a brand new one. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> Could it get any more distorted? President Biden's history as a serial fabulist exceeds even our shameful standards of habitual lying in Washington, D.C. If it was art, Joe would make the old masters look like amateurs. The president's repeated insistence that he never discussed with Hunter, Hunter's overseas business dealings, let alone with his partners, Hunter's partners, that claim over and over again by our president is belied by indisputable evidence now that has grown exponentially over time. Facts matter. <laughs> Maybe to you and me. The elder Biden maintains this ludicrous charade. No reasonably intelligent person believes him. None. Records were recently uncovered that show that Hunter's associates 
in his suspected influence peddling schemes went to the White House more than 80 times while Joe was vice president. Now, wait a minute. Joe doesn't discuss with his son any of his business practices. Now, Joe wasn't president. He was vice president. Barack Obama was president. So why would the vice president's son, who the vice president had no information about anything that he was doing in business, why would that happen and 80 times Hunter's business associates would go to the White House? A top executive in the Sun's now-defunct investment firm logged in at the White House 17 times. Another partner seems to have taken up residency there, 27 appearances in the White House. And so we're supposed to believe they just chatted about the weather? Or maybe maybe something going on the greenery of Washington, D.C., or maybe the cherry blossoms. They're gorgeous. Biden's constant claim that he had no knowledge of Hunter's foreign dealings and that he never spoke with him about it, it defies logic and common sense. I mean, let's face it, we knew for years Hunter went on Air Force Two with Joe to China and that on that trip, Hunter went and met with some big-time Chinese bankers and coming out of that meeting, Hunter's brand-new investment company got a billion and a half dollars to invest for these Chinese bankers, and Joe Biden didn't know about any of that, said he didn't. And, of course, then the obvious question, Joe had nothing to do with it. Yeah, uh-huh, quid pro quo thing. Even Hunter disputes it, admitting to the New Yorker that he talked with his dad about his lucrative venture in Ukraine that netted some 11 million bucks. And then there's an audio tape that surfaced in which Joe is heard discussing a pending news article about Hunter's suspicious Chinese deals. And remember that famous phone call we heard? I think you're in the clear, son. Authenticated, now authenticated emails confirm Joe attended a bunch of meetings and dinners with a bunch of Hunter's foreign investors and Hunter's business partners. Photographs corroborated. There are messages thanking Hunter for arranging meetings with his daddy. And then there was that famous Air Force Two trip and that billion-plus dollars from the Chinese government to BHR partners so Hunter can make them a bunch of money. There is a treasure trove of incriminating evidence on Hunter's abandoned laptop. And overall, it suggested both Bidens stood to gain handsomely in a secret deal with China's largest energy company, CEFC, that had strong ties to the intelligence apparatus of the Communist Party. They got a bunch of payments. And it's done in terminology like 24H and 10 held by H for the big guy. 20, of course, would be Hunter, and the 10 would be held by Hunter for the big guy, his daddy, now president. They're identified in one smoking gun message. 
Camouflaging Joe's collaboration was of paramount importance, which is why memos show he was given code names like the big guy and Celtic. Tony Bobolinsky, you probably saw him in that blockbuster interview he did. He's Hunter's former partner. He has publicly confirmed that Joe was the big guy. Bobolinsky says he met personally with Joe Biden to talk about the family project that was expected to net billions in Chinese contracts. However, he was cautioned in one edict, quote, don't mention Joe being involved it's only when you are face-to-face. I know you know that, but they are paranoid. Several of the Biden enrichment schemes, they're revealed in a well-documented U.S. Senate report that constitutes a damning indictment of corruption. It's 87 pages long, chock-full of stunning details involving not just Ukraine and China, but Russia, Kazakhstan, Romania, and Oman. Given Hunter's exceptional talent as a con artist, there may be others that haven't been uncovered yet. It is no coincidence that Hunter's illicit schemes revolved around countries where his daddy was in charge of U.S. foreign policy directives. All that happened during his eight years in the Obama administration. It seems obvious that those overseas entities thought they were buying access to the VP for future influence and protection. Since Hunter's only marketable skill was being the scion of a top U.S. governmental official, he monetized his daddy's power in politics. There's no doubt that Hunter was really good at fattening his bank account with foreign cash and he did it by exploiting his genetics for financial gain. That's the kind of predatory scam that hustlers run. They are brash, they're greedy, they also excel at lies and cover-ups. It's learned behavior. It's taught and learned behavior. As the old saying goes, like father, like son. The intertwining of Biden finances with foreign adversaries raises some big-time concerns about U.S. national security, counterintelligence, and potential extortion of our current president. Have our country's defense and economic interests been jeopardized? There is no way it hadn't been. No logical person would say, look, all this money floating around in the Biden family syndicate's pockets and hands That had to come from somewhere, and we know a huge portion of it, if not most of it, came from China. China doesn't give money away to politicians in other nations without a quid pro quo. This is precisely why Republican-led congressional committees are now investigating what Democrats refuse to investigate. I'll finish with this. The key to unlocking suspected corruption and cover-up is simple. Follow the money. Examine the roughly 150 suspicious activity reports. They're called SARS, S-A-R-S, that banks have always used to flag criminal division at the Treasury Department. When there's a 
SARS that goes up, bing, 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 Treasury gets it and they investigate to find why is all this foreign money being wired into these accounts in the United States? Oh, and by the way, the banks won't give our investigating congressional committee those 150 suspicious activities reports. I wonder why. I'll tell you why. They probably prove and are instrumental in piercing the veil of secrecy that obscured the roughly $31 million in Chinese cash bagged by the Bidens. Already the House Oversight Committee has gotten the first bank records that show how a Chinese company wired a paltry $3 million to Hunter's Associates, who then promptly distributed more than a million to four Biden family members. What did those family members do for China in exchange for the cash? They should be called as witnesses to answer under oath that crucial question. Here's where we get to the meat of the matter. Just imagine it wasn't Hunter Biden. Maybe it had been, oh, let's say, Donald Trump Jr. How do you think this picture would have changed? <laughs> we, we are going to be talking in a few minutes about that hearing that took place yesterday by the House Judiciary Committee in New York City with people from New York that were there to talk about what's happened when the prosecutor in New York City, Alvin Bragg, instead of tackling the criminality that's tearing the Big Apple apart, he indicted a former president on basically squat. Can you imagine if, if he had stuff on Donald Trump Jr., this very obvious, incredible, and truthful information we have Joe Biden's son? <laughs> what, what would we be doing now? I mean, they impeached, they impeached Trump twice for nothing. <laughs> they couldn't impeach Hunter Biden, but, you know, old daddy, there's some way he bought those three big mansions on the water. <laughs> I wonder how he did that when he was making for 50 years the maximum of $170,000 a year as a U.S. senator. What did I tell you a few minutes ago? I learned when I was young, lived in Franklin, Louisiana. I loved to fish. I loved to hunt down in the middle of all kinds of water. Oh, my gosh. It was incredible. I learned a lot about ducks when I was growing up. And when, a, when something you see is walking down the street or walking down the shore of a lake and it waddles, pretty much always a duck. I love going all natural. It just makes me feel better. Nothing between me and my 100% all-natural, juicy, grass-fed beef. Introducing the all-natural burger, the first ever in fast food. With no antibiotics, no added hormones, and no steroids. Only at Carl's Jr. 
what do you want to da da da? I don't know. What do y'all think we should da da da? Well, what did we da yesterday? Hmm, yesterday. All the dolls feel like the same doll these dolls. I know. Like, is today Monday or Tuesday? Today is Thursday. <gasps> oh no, I forgot to call my mom on her birthday. Oh no! No! These days, nothing is normal and everything is weird. But you could still save big when you switch to Progressive. That won't change. Not to da or any da. Quote to da at Progressive.com. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Yo, some people think it don't make sense that I'm a horse whisperer. Fancy prance, yo! But you know what else don't make sense? Bye. I mean, it's good for you, but still somehow tastes amazing. Sideways fancy prance, you heard? Yeah. Clippity-clop, clippity-clop. Yo, I just whispered all of y'all. Too easy. Bye. Five calories, antioxidants, and tastes amazing. None of this makes sense. Car's all yours. Thanks. Cars.com's expert reviews made it easy, but... Shouldn't there be more back and forth? You missed the drama, right? Yeah. Maybe this will do the trick. Oh, it's a puppy. Not a puppy, a wolf. What now? He's a wolf. And that is its incredibly protective mother. You guys good? Mm. Yeah, we're good. Yep. Okay. Get the right car without all the drama. Cars.com. All drive. No drama. Hey, God, it's another little uh, Miami-sounding musical twist to send us back into uh, our story of the day today. I got to be honest with you. We don't have a story of the day. <laughs> we have a, a bunch of stories of the day. Friday night, I went to a town hall meeting with my congressman, 4th Congressional District Congressman from Louisiana, Mike Johnson. He'll be on with us later this week to talk about it. But he left that town hall, flew to Manhattan on Saturday, and met with the uh, Judiciary Committee. They were all up there for a hearing that took place yesterday but they were up there on Sunday getting prepped for it. What did they talk about? What did they do? Why were they in Manhattan? Well, Steve Baker is going to join us at the top of this hour. He does every Tuesday, about 20 minutes or so. So let me get this kind of platform-laid information-wise so you can kind of figure out what's going on. Since Alvin Bragg has been the prosecutor, the chief prosecutor in Manhattan. I'm going to give you some numbers that will blow your freaking mind. 327 shoplifters in Manhattan, 327, remember that number, have been arrested 6,000 times. 327 of them, shoplifters, have been arrested for shoplifting in Manhattan 6,000 times. So you do the math. Divide 327 into 6,000. I'm not going to give you an exact number, but it's like each of these people have been arrested for shoplifting at least 25, 26, maybe 27, maybe 30 times each. Nearly a third of all shoplifting arrests in New York City last year involved these 327 people. The police commissioner, Keechan Sewell, said this, gave us the numbers yesterday. Some engage in shoplifting professionally, 
while others are driven by their addiction or mental illness. And the cops in the report did not identify who these people are. So because Democrats, most of them, like Manhattan District Attorney Alvin Bragg, backed by George Soros, have all but determined to decriminalize shoplifting. This is what you get. By the end of last year, the theft of items valued at less than $1,000 had increased 53% at major commercial locations. Over the past five years, shoplifting complaints nearly doubled, peaking at nearly 64,000 of them last year. Only about 34% resulted in arrests last year compared with 60% back in 2017. Arrest in Manhattan mean nothing. Take the numbers as I just gave them to you. What you have is 327 people arrested an average of 18 times for shoplifting. These 327 accounted for nearly a third of all the shoplifting arrests last year. Well, those 327 might account for a third of arrests, but I guarantee you those 327 account for a much bigger percentage of shoplifting crimes. Arrests and criminal acts are two different things. Arrests merely represent the times the 327 were caught. Imagine how many times they shoplifted and didn't get caught. Imagine how secure they feel shoplifting knowing that even if they are caught, there's no penalty other than the inconvenience of walking through the revolving door at their local police precinct. Here's some novel ideas for you. Want to decrease shoplifting in your city dramatically? Uh, put these 327 of them in jail. I'll go out on a limb. I'll guess that if these 327 account for a third of arrest, they probably account for 60% or more of all of the shoplifting incidents. By arresting these 327, you cut your, shitty sh your city's shoplifting problem in about half. You know how they are. Prosecute them. Prosecute them. Why wouldn't New York do that? You want to know why? Because George Soros doesn't want them to. Here's what the very obvious end game is for the left. Number one, chase decent people out of the big cities as a means to consolidate their power into something absolute. Number two, enrich themselves from the public trough. Number three, rationalize their ongoing obscenity as breaking eggs to arrive at a utopia. The saying about the road to hell being paved with good intentions is all about this kind of monstrous greater good thinking. And of course, people like George Soros, they obviously know much better what's best for people than do the people themselves. Yeah, right. Obviously, as we've heard and we've read over and over, the immediate result of this is retailers are being forced to flee. Four Walmarts have closed in the greater Chicago area. Now think about that. Walmarts are closing. Why are Walmarts closing? Because of criminality and no prosecution. My sympathy is gone. 
It is. I hate it for the people that are not being represented in law enforcement, at least in the prosecution of the lawbreakers in these areas. That's who I feel for. I don't really feel sorry for the people. Why is that? Because the people are the ones that have the power to get rid of the people who will not get lawbreakers to be accountable for the laws that they break. And guess what? None of this is going to be fixed unless and until people start being forced to pay the price for their wrongdoing. It's called the rule of law. It's called the accountability that is put in place when the people's representatives in Congress, in state houses, in parish or county offices, city or town offices, when everybody that takes an oath of office to serve and protect the people within their domain and they make every lawmaker accountable, unless that happens, we're headed for what George Soros wants to see this country in. Let's talk for a second about Alvin Bragg. He is George Soros selected. George Soros, who when he's in the U.S. lives out on a big mansion in Long Island. He gave Alvin Bragg's campaign a million bucks. Bragg's made promises to George Soros about what he was going to do, which is exactly what he's doing now, which is not enforcing the law. I told you the Judiciary Committee held open hearings in the Big Apple yesterday, and it was about letting the New York people tell Congress exactly what's happening in their worlds because of what Alvin Braggs is doing and what he's not doing, specifically what he's not doing, is holding lawbreakers accountable. And I'm not talking about shoplifters here. I'm talking about people getting stabbed, being knocked out, being shot, and it's going up and up and up in number and intensity. Why is that? Criminals are emboldened when they're not held accountable. Listen to this mother of one of those murdered youngsters in New York City that Alvin Braggs is just letting happen by allowing and perpetuating this atmosphere of lawlessness being accepted in New York City. Good morning. My name is Madeline Brame. I am the chairwoman of Victims' Rights Reform Council. I'm also the mother of a homicide victim. My son, Sergeant Hassan Korea, Afghanistan War retired veteran, was killed in Harlem in 2018. Hassan was kicked, punched, stomped, and stabbed nine times by four individuals he did not know, nor had he done them any harm. All four of these individuals were apprehended and all four charged with first-degree gang assault and second-degree murder. This case just resolved this year. So this case drug on through the Manhattan criminal court system for four and a half years. 
when Alvin Bragg came into office, he was held, he was handed a strong trial ready murder case and gang assault case against all four of these individuals where this brutal, savage homicide was captured on video. He was handed a strong trial ready case, ready to go to trial. As soon as he took office, the case immediately began to unravel. He dismissed, completely dismissed, gang assault and murder indictments against two of the defendants clearly on video participating in the brutal savage slaughter of my son. Mary Saunders, the sister involved in the homicide. He dismissed her indictment and recharged her with assault with a shoe and sentenced her to one year time served. Travis Stewart dismissed his gang assault and murder indictment and sentenced him to attempted gang assault. And he pled guilty and sentenced him to seven years. Travis will be out in the next 18 months. Mary Saunders, the savage, is currently walking the streets of Harlem like she didn't just participate in the, in the brutal slaughter of another human being. Home with her family, home with her children. If that's not a threat, uh, if that's not a threat to public safety, I don't know what is. She's capable at any moment of snapping and attacking someone and holding them while someone else plunges a butcher knife into their body nine times and another person 12 times and then run away and leave their body in the street to bleed to death. This is the type of criminal element that we have walking the streets of New York City on a daily basis. All types of criminal elements free to do what they want, when they want, however they want, to whomever they want, with no consequences, no deterrence. We have these anti-gang violence, these credible messenger, millions and billions of our hard-earned tax dollars are going to fund these organizations that are doing absolutely nothing to deter this crime. They're doing absolutely nothing. And I propose another, not another dime of our federal tax dollars be pumped into these organizations until they can produce some measurable outcomes of effectiveness of what they're doing with our tax dollars to protect the public. Audience, there is no audience participation. Ms. Bram, you keep going. And as far as the Manhattan District office, if he's receiving one penny of federal dollars, you need to pull that funding until he starts doing his damn job and prosecuting crime. I was totally disrespected. Me, my family, my grandchildren, we were treated like garbage. Like garbage. I've sat for four and a half years and saw mothers walk in and out we have a mother sitting here right now whose son, two sons, one died and the other one is on a coloscopy bag. This is out of Darcel Clark's jurisdiction. So I'm not the only one. There are hundreds and thousands of us. We don't give a damn about your politics. 
who's running for president, okay? As long as whoever's in there, it stands for law and order and is going to return some civility and sanity to our city. Thank you. Thank you. I don't think anybody questions. After listening to that mother give the facts, the unfettered facts, unpoliticized facts about what is happening in the Big Apple in the way of criminality and criminals walking with no accountability under Alvin Bragg's watchful eye. Think about that. If you're a mom, bam, your kid's gone, brutally murdered, nobody being held accountable for it. And for those who are getting something, it's literally a slap on the wrist, but nothing that reaches to the level of what should be happening according to the laws that the elected individuals have put in place that Alvin Braggs and other prosecutors in New York have all sworn an oath that they're going to uphold those. If you do this crime, you're going to pay this penalty based upon the law. And so people like Alvin Braggs and George Soros prosecutors that he's put in office all around the nation, they've got a different idea. Oh, we'll arrest them maybe. And we'll charge them with something, but it won't be charging them for what they did wrong. We'll negotiate it down. We want to help these people figure out how to get back in society. Know what they're doing is they're getting back in society if they ever are taken out of society and they're repeating their crimes over and over and over. And why wouldn't they? I mean, think about it. It's just like a kid. A kid does something wrong. You may say, don't do that. The next time he does it, don't do that. Next time he does it, don't do that again, or I'm going to really hold you accountable. And then they do it again. What do you do? You may, now listen, if you do it one more time, you don't get ice cream today. Alvin Bragg is the ice cream man. He's letting criminals get away without any real criminal prosecution. That, my friends, is a scary situation. So what are we doing now? What are those in power? What are they doing now? They're really creating things to better everybody's lives here in the United States. What could possess Dutch Brewing Company, Anheuser-Busch, to put a trans activist at the forefront of its Bud Light marketing efforts? I don't need to tell you this, but that promotion was a grave offense to the values of Anheuser-Busch's customer base, after all. But Bud Light is hardly alone. A bunch of America's largest companies have recklessly exposed themselves at the very front of the woke political agenda. This week, Consumers Research, which is a consumer advocacy group founded back in 1929, is inaugurating what they're calling woke alerts. Honestly, they're doing this. It's a free direct-to-consumer tech service to call out corporate pandering to the far left's ideology when it happens. It is so prevalent, it's happening every day. The Woke Alert Service will be backed by a massive digital campaign 
to make us all, all consumers aware of how to sign up and how to use it. The Woke Alerts Project is a dynamic extension of the Consumers First initiative in which Consumers Research has already called out companies like Coca-Cola, Nike, American Airlines, State Farm, Ticketmaster, Major League Baseball, American Express, and even Levi's for nefarious wokeness at customers' expense, at American citizens' expense. So, if you want to join Woke Alerts, you sign up for it through the Consumers Research website. Subscribers will be notified by text when companies cave to the woke mob so they know the brands that are attacking their values. I love this. In light of the recent direction taken by companies like Bud and Jack Daniels and Bank of America, Woke Alerts is being launched to help us all make better informed decisions about where to spend the money. Money drives corporations. The loss of money drives corporations. They're about making money. We're going to watch it. We're just going to see how this is going to work. But if people sign on to this, and I believe Americans will, we will begin to hold those accountable who should be accountable. And watch what these big companies start doing. Well, we don't want to do it, and we're not going to admit that we did anything wrong. But we're just going to move in this direction and hope people don't remember how woke we were. (laughs) It's time for accountability. It is time for all of us to be held accountable, and it begins with us individually. I'm signing up for that. I don't know about you. We'll see. Northern Tool and Equipment. My girlfriend has given me a pet name. I'm afraid to ask. Snuggle Muffin. No, it isn't. And she uses it in public. Okay, so give your girlfriend a pet name she'll hate, like uh, Thunder Chunky. I couldn't do that. I see. Too harsh for Snuggle Muffin. Okay. Drown her out with a 200-mile-per-hour cordless leaf blower. Got it. Here she comes. Hey, Snuggle Muffin. What are you doing, Snuggle I am so out of here. Wait, come back, Thunder Chunky. There's no problem a little horsepower can't solve. Northern Tool and Equipment. With Ford Pass, rewards are just a tap away. Whether it's using rewards points toward things like complimentary maintenance or for vehicle accessories. And with Ford Pass, a tap can also get you 24-7 roadside assistance. And lock your vehicle. Only Ford Pass puts all this in the palm of your hand. Ford Pass, built to keep you moving. Could switching to GEICO really save you 15% or more on car insurance? Did the little piggy cry wee, wee, wee all the way home? You're home. Oh, cool. Thanks, Mrs. A. Geico. 15 minutes could save you 15% or more. Everyone thinks they can handle the truth. But the want and the will are two different things. Truthnewsnet.org Once again, Dan Newman. 
Not everybody can handle the truth. Well, let me rephrase that. I think everybody can handle the truth, but I think it's that everybody not necessarily wants to handle the truth. So they just decide, we're just going to let this one slide and hope it goes away. Well, there's one person in our lives that never does that. Who might that be? It would be Steve Baker. Do you all remember Steve? I think he was here with us a week or so ago. Well, Steve, is um, he just dropped a little truth bomb on me during the break. And I'm not going to tell you what he told me, but I'll tell you it's got my... uh, my ears perked up for what's going on and what he's going to tell us about today. So, my son, Steve Baker, welcome to the show. <laughs> good morning, Daddy. Yeah. How are you doing? <laughs> I am good. Uh, in what zip code do you find yourself today? I am back in uh, North Carolina right now after spending last week in D.C., and I am now trying to process everything that happened, went on, that I did, that I saw, that I learned in that uh, particular excursion. So I uh, got your list of things you wanted to talk about this morning, and one of those actually kind of triggers or meanders into something that I stumbled on last week and can't wait for you to go down your list. I'm not going to tell you until we get there, but uh, I, I don't think uh, I got to be honest with you. I've looked back this morning I, and I wrote this list and sent it to you yesterday. We can't even do two or three of the items on the list in an hour. Well, um, no, we don't, don't tell me what the blockbuster thing is right now, but why don't you just take off any place on the list that you want to go? And we'll just meander our way down to the really good stuff. How about that? Well, let, let's talk. Let's talk a little bit about this hearing that was going on in New York City uh, with the congressional committee. Because I, I sent out a tweet last. I think it was on Thursday that ended up um, becoming a, not just at what they call a viral moment online, but it really impacted in D.C. hard because I jumped all over um, Representative Jim Jordan and his uh, alleged uh, weaponization committee and the work that they're doing. And the reason why I have been so outspoken and so critical of that committee is because, as you know, much of my work of the last two years has been related to January 6th. Sure. And we learned, we we have been learning over the course of the last several weeks that it was apparent that the weaponization committee was not going to do anything related to January 6th. I spent a lot of time on their website, going through their press releases, their, their committee hearing meetings, their notes, going through their Twitter page, scrolling weeks and weeks and weeks back and doing searches to discover. In fact, they've never even brought it up, which is, which is a bit befuddling and quite disappointing because as I think most of your listeners have learned from me, January 6th is not about January 6th. January 6th is a much bigger problem. And what's happening right now related to all of these trials uh, uh, that are dealing with, you know, some legitimate cases, there were people who, who did bad things that day. There were, uh, there were violent actions that took place against law enforcement that way that day. There was property damage that day. And those individuals need to be prosecuted. But there is a much greater number of individuals who did not participate in any violence, who did not cross any barriers, who did not uh, wander past do not enter signs, did not 
breached doorways or windows that are being prosecuted unfairly. And it's not just that they're being prosecuted unfairly for uh, the ignorance of the law or the ignorance of being in a restricted area, that sort of thing, but they're being prosecuted at a much worse level than other American citizens who commit much greater crimes, just like you were talking about earlier with these um, uh, got shoplifters. I mean, this, this, this is a perfect example. You, you reach a point when you have shoplifted that many times, you're into, you know, you're into felony territory over and over and over and far and above uh, what the law requires for you to be a felon. Yet these people are, are literally living on a catch and release program and they know it. And that's why they go back out on the street. That's why they do what they do again. And they know that they're going to be released again. But if you were a January 6th person who just happened to be wearing a Trump uh, hat or carrying a flag through the Capitol, that day, you're facing not only the possibility of being, quote unquote, swatted at your doorway at six o'clock in the morning with the red dots on your chest for being a misdemeanor, an alleged misdemeanor defendant. But then you're put through a process that is literally life destroying for you and your family. You lose your job. You lose your career. You lose uh, your relationships. You lose your family. And then after when and that's just the beginning, Dan. Then after that happens, you have to go through a legal process in which you are more than likely to be much more severely penalized, uh, sentenced than you would be if you were committing felony assault uh, for any other crime uh, uh, at any other time, even in D.C. Let me ask so, you a question, what, Steve. What, hang on, hang on, just yeah, a second. Let me yeah. ask you about about those people now. You yeah. you followed you were in court for pretty much the entire Proud Boys um, trials and Oath you Keepers. Get, Oath Keepers, Oath Keepers I'm sorry, and you kept us posted yeah. day by day. How much mm-hmm. did the defense cost on an average? Some of these people that at most are going to plead guilty to, like you said, a misdemeanor. What was the average cost? Felony. Maybe a little bit more, but just regular folks to get defense to defend them in Washington, D.C. in these federal cases. I have personally seen deposits, retainer deposits to attorneys. This is just the deposit retainers of $150,000. Can you believe that, folks? Can you believe that in our justice system? Now, we're talking about misdemeanors being on property federal property without having full authority to do it. Those are the people that let's just say they looked and watched those cops that we played for you several years ago, pictures of video of these cops taking these barriers down and waving people to come on in and go up to the Capitol and go in the Capitol. Now they were doing something. Yeah. Legally it was wrong, but I mean, we're not talking about people that have a bunch of, Law degrees, these are people, patriots, Americans that went to D.C. to watch what was going to happen. Yeah, as Pete, as as Steve said, a bunch of people did bad things. No question about it. They all should be held accountable for the bad things that they did. But how, oh, how can somebody, some American justify the FBI going after people and trying to get them to plead? to a misdemeanor, but doing so would plead guilty. And these people, many of have been held in prison for months. 
and they have to make a deposit to a federal defender of a, over $100,000? Can you imagine John Q. Public going to D.C. for those purposes and find their lives are destroyed before they even face a judge? It's incomprehensible. And, and yeah, and as you can imagine, Dan, most of those people cannot afford that $100,000, $150,000, uh, retainer fee uh, for a for adequate defense. So they are at the mercy of public defenders. And I can tell you, out of the hundreds of defense uh, lawyers that are involved in these cases, most of them are not really, they really don't care. Every once in a while you get somebody who gets really lucky with a public defender and they get somebody who believes in the case and then their firm gets behind them and they do a great job for the defendant. But most of these public defenders, they don't want the cases, they don't believe in their client, they don't believe in any aspect of their potential innocence and it's just marking time, going through the legal process, negotiating out the plea deal, Getting their, um, uh, their, I think they're, I think the public defenders in the federal courts are getting something on the, in the area of a hundred, one hundred sixty-five dollars an hour for their work, and they get their check from the government, and then they move on to the next case. But it's not, they're not really offering adequate defense, and so it's, it's, it's not the thing that you know we need to spend a lot of time on. But the point that I was going to make is that the real issue with January 6th is not what happened that day. It's what's happening now in the court system because the Department of Justice and the FBI are setting precedents in federal court, federal district court in D.C. today that is going to be used against the rest of us for time immemorial if we allow this to stand. And this is the weaponization of the Department of Justice against these people, most of whom are being prosecuted for nothing more than their voice. They may have wandered into a, an open door that was not seen by themselves when it was breached, when it was attacked, when uh, officers were, you know, most people didn't even see violence that day. I know people can't understand that. Unless you were sitting at home watching it on television, you don't understand that thousands of people that were in D.C. that day, unless you were you know, 20, 50 feet uh, away from what was happening, you, you had no idea that there was violence taking place. So thick were the crowds and so densely uh, compacted were the people in there. Uh, in, in those crowds as they moved towards the Capitol. And so they, and by, of course, by the time most of those thousands arrived, all of those barricades uh, were gone. The police uh, forces had retreated back and were not offering any resistance on the, where the uh, outer barricades previously existed. So they entered areas they had no idea that they were entering restricted space. And so the point being is, is that the what we're learning and what we're seeing from these trials is that if you if you were regardless of what you were charged with, and then you plea down to your one single misdemeanor or two misdemeanor uh, offenses, the difference between your uh, sentencing hinged upon your speech either that day or on social media before and after. And I'm not I'm not um, exaggerating when I tell you this. And I actually got a very big name. Um, uh, MSM journalist who I had dinner with last week in DC who admitted to me, and this is this, this guy, he's in the court every day. He is covered his beat is January 6th. He's covering all the January 6th court trials right there in, in the courthouse. He is a 
uh, walking encyclopedia about every single case. And I challenged him and I asked him, I said, am I correct to say that the severity of your sentencing is more dependent upon the words you used that day or online or on Facebook? And he absolutely said with, with total conviction on his part, as a NSM mainstream media, what I call the gatekeepers, uh, the palace guards of the of the uh, government narrative, he admitted that if you were vocal on your Facebook page, or if you were chanting, singing, uh, when you were there at the Capitol that day, your sentencing is likely more uh, more severe, and that's absolutely the case. So it's the difference between being there and being totally silent and not having a social media presence at all are very limited and walking through, you might get the, what we call the slap on the wrist for the glorified uh, trespassing charge. You might get two years probation, uh, $500,000 fine, and maybe a few hours of uh, community service. But if you were participating in chanting USA, USA, singing the national anthem, or you got on your Facebook page and said something to the effect of you know, showing pictures of you at the Capitol, that sort of thing, then you were likely to get maybe two, four, six, eight months in jail when you did nothing different than the person who didn't chant or sing or post on Facebook. How long is this um, witch hunt? How long is it going to last? Unfortunately, it is being ramped up right now. Um, we, we will all remember that there was this thing called the omnibus bill last year that was passed and signed into law by president Biden. One point, Seven trillion dollars. Well, 212 million of that was given to the Department of Justice as a budget increase, of which over 30 million was specifically allocated to the ongoing process of prosecuting another thousand. I think there's been a thousand and eight arrests so far, and they are saying that they're going to make between a thousand and twelve hundred more before this process is over. And so as a result of that, the money is now already flowing. We have that uh, absolutely confirmed, not only from my own Department of Just Sources, but also from um, um, other journalists, as well as from other attorneys involved in these cases who have been able to identify now that that money is being allocated new uh Federal attorneys are being hired, and also assistant USAs from uh, U.S. attorneys from all over the country are being uh, reposted and brought to D.C. and other locations to uh, help and assist with the uh, ramp up of the arrest of another thousand, at least another thousand people. Steve, let's go. Let's go back for a second. Let's go back to the foundation of this entire process. Obviously, obviously, with the story we talked about right before. We went live with you talking about those hearings yesterday in New York. And I got an inside scoop from Congressman Mike Johnson last Friday night about what was going to happen. He was there. But obviously it was there to illustrate the massive criminality that goes unpunished in our biggest cities, specifically, of course, New York City. But look at what happened on January 6th where there was criminality, but not the kind you know, where people were killed, beat up, shot, knocked in the head, stabbed, all those kinds of things unexpectedly. There was that wrongdoing going on there. But how can you come to any kind of conclusion? And we've got to do that. There's got to be a foundation for this to, to have happened. And it's got to be 
much more than just getting rid of Donald Trump. At least I think it probably has to. Your thoughts? Well, and this goes back to the theme of what I was saying, is that the bigger agenda and the point of the narrative that was secured, remember Pelosi famously said uh, on the one-year anniversary of January 6th last year that she was going to establish this this committee and all of these other functions towards, as she said, and this is an exact quote, to establish and preserve the narrative of January 6th. Well, the reason why she said that, it was the, I, I call it the the largest, most successful narrative victory for one side of the political aisle or the other, maybe in our nation's history. When I originally wrote about it two years ago, I said it was probably the biggest narrative victory since the uh, Great Depression and how that was then used to establish, um, you know, the the New Deal and to establish the welfare state and that we now live under today uh, by um, President Roosevelt. But it is by far since then the largest narrative victory. And what is happening right now is, as I said earlier, is a, a systematic sequence of new precedents that are being set in federal court that will then be used against the rest of us who were not there on necessarily on January 6th, but maybe you protest at your local school board meeting. Maybe you're protesting at your local state house. Maybe you're doing something else that goes against the narrative. Maybe you're not allowing your child to be, um, to receive, what do they call it? Uh, gender affirming care at 12 or 14 years old. And then just, and that's because of maybe your religious convictions. And therefore then that grants the right for the authorities to come into your home and take your child away from you. As we've seen now, a new law passed in Washington state, which is giving Washington that, uh, that, that privilege uh, in that particular state. And so there is, there is an establishment of precedent that is entirely dangerous. And this is where I was going with this. As a result of that, we have been very angry. Some of us, myself, investigators like myself, other people participating in this cause, we have been very vocal at reaching out through social media and other ways of trying to get the attention of Jim Jordan, the chairman of the weaponization committee, uh, as well as the other members of that committee and getting them to listen to us and getting them to understand that they are missing the point. Well, last week in a off the record meeting that I participated in, I learned from a firsthand source from Jordan's mouth to his ears that Jordan said that the weaponization committee is not going to handle or deal with anything related to January 6th. Well, Dan, I lost my, you know what, as a result of that. Oh, I got, I got a Twitter. I I think I got a text, uh, kind of, uh, angry text of notification of what you discovered. Uh, well, yeah. And so I, I, I put it out there. I, yeah. I leaked it. I leaked yeah. it and it went viral. Uh, and then my phone that evening and the next day, uh, was ringing off the hook. I had people that were angry. I had people who wanting to know who the source was. Obviously I'm not giving that up. Uh, so much so to all the way, all the way to even Saturday when I was driving back to North Carolina from DC, I got a phone call from one of President Trump's staffers also 
wanting to know who the source was of the leak because this was very disappointing to them because they were also on the under, uh, operating under the understanding that Jordan's committee would be, in fact, at some point turning their, their sights onto January 6th violations and the weaponization of the DOJ and the FBI related to that. And that, I mean, so as you can imagine, not only have I been dealing with those calls, I, and these are people angry on both sides. These sure, are people yeah. who are angry at me yeah. for leaking it. There yeah. are people who are angry at, at, that don't believe that Jordan said that. And then there are also the people that are angry that he did say it and are disgusted with that, And including I, I got messages from dozens of Ohio voters, of course, where Jim Jordan is, uh, is from, saying they will never vote for him again if this is true. So I, I, I stirred pot uh, uh, with that that particular tweet and i'm still dealing with with the ramifications of that but that's okay we did make some movement we got their attention we also learned and folks this is something every one of you should know they do listen to us trust me this within five minutes of me hitting send on that tweet that went out about 9 30 on thursday night i was already getting reactions and I was getting negative reactions from people directly related to the staffers of individuals in that committee. And that is a fact that when we do those things and we tag those lawmakers and we tag those committee members and we tag those uh, committees themselves, there are people on those staffs who are looking at that, watching that. And when they see the level of reaction that was, uh, uh, that happened as a result of that tweet, they are responding. And now they're responding in ways that may have moved the needle. I don't know, Dan, we're going to see, but we're already seeing some, some movement as a result of that. And I am just with, you know, with uh, tempered anticipation, hoping that, that they're going to respond positively and that we're going to get the necessary um, investigations launched into some of these areas that I've been researching and talking about and trying to reveal on my own with my own small little bullhorn. Through the several months that we have done these Tuesday get togethers in our second hour with Steve Baker, I've joked multiple times because we can look at anybody that is listening to this show live on a computer or a phone, wherever they are, we get a notification. There's a whole list page after page of the geographic locations, usually it's a city-state, uh, and of course the IP address of the device they're listening on, which, you know, we don't, I don't do anything with that. But I've joked several times telling Steve, well, they're, they're listening to the show today as you're on our show uh, in Langley, Virginia. We all know that's the home of the CIA. <laughs> and that's the only time I ever see them listening to this show. And by the way, there's one Langley, Virginia IP address that's listening in right now. Look, folks, everything you see and hear is not happening in a vacuum. People like Steve Baker are out there on the front lines investigating, getting facts and putting those out. And as you just heard, it really pissed him off when he got told that. And it should. It should hack us all off. Maybe P.O. is not the appropriate word to use on this show. But nevertheless, the idea is this is our nation. Aren't the people, we the people that own the nation, and we put these people in places of power to take care of us. They all, Jim Jordan included, took an oath. 
to protect and defend us, to honor the Constitution, to honor the rule of law, and by all means represent we the people. And when we see these things not happening, yeah, we get hacked off about it. We should. By the way, in case you've forgotten, that's exactly how our forefathers ended up coming here from Europe to get away from the same kind of governing that was happening over there where we, the people, had no voice whatsoever. It was a small little group across the top. Usually they were royals, but they had unilateral, complete control over the lives of everybody that lived in those nations. Is that where we want to go back to? Is that what we want it to look like? And just like you said, that hearing that went on yesterday the Judiciary Committee in New York City. I know several of the people that sit on that committee. And they went right to the people about that, the people of New York City. Now, again, the focus was to compare what Alvin Bragg, the prosecutor, is letting happen across New York, death and mayhem, left and right, no prosecution, no accountability. And then he trumps up Trump charges and indicts the president for a little bit of nothing This is a two-tiered world that we live in. And Steve, if, if you don't continue to do what you're doing, if I don't continue what's happening here, these voices go away. There are a lot of people that would be tickled to death for that to happen. But the cost for that to happen to freedom and liberty in America can't be too high, too expensive, for us to keep pushing back against the darkness. We got to do it. Yes, we have to. And I'm not the only one out there working on this. There are some really good people and there's some really uh, great investigators, guys with a lot more experience at this than I have that are working on these uh, cases right now, particularly related to not just January 6th, but, but the um, weaponization of all of those three-letter federal agencies against the American people and against against the Bill of Rights, against our basic secured rights that were secured to us by the Constitution, and that's what we're uh, that's what's driving us. The, the passion that we have to I don't want to overstate it and say we're trying to save the country, but but then I wake up every morning thinking that that's what my job is today. Yeah. And and yeah. that's not, you know, I'm not being arrogant in that regard and narcissistic in any way, but that's, that's the way I feel. Uh, and, and that's why when I go to DC every single time, uh, that I'm there, I seem to stumble on something else that just sets me off and angers me and makes me that much more driven and passionate to, uh, to dive in, to dive in deeper and to stick with it. And, uh, um, <laughs> and I haven't given you the punchline yet. I'm waiting. So, uh, I'm waiting. <laughs> <laughs> well, all right. All right. So I, I report, let, let's, let me just, let me just lay this foundation. I reported back in February of 2021, only six weeks after January 6th, I was the first journalist, large or small, independent or otherwise, who actually reported 
that there were elements of the United States Army Special Forces that were embedded in the crowd that day. I did not accuse them of any nefarious activities right. or that they were there uh, yeah. to in, you know, instigate the crowd or be provocateurs themselves. In fact, I actually wrote that the most likely reason that they were in the crowd was, in fact, if it got out of hand, was to take care of business. Okay? You right, know? right. Plain and, plain and simple. You got tens of thousands, maybe hundreds of thousands of people showing up from all over the country, not knowing if they're going to show up with firearms or what their intentions are. But just in case they did, let's send our best, our most elite forces in there and they could handle it pretty easily, pretty quickly. These uh, MAGA hat wearing, you know, uh, Bubba's from, you know, the flyover states would not be able to stand up against what these guys are capable of doing and trained to do. If, in fact, it, something like that broke out, thank God it did not happen, right? Right. It didn't happen, and, and, and we're all better off for it. Um, it was ten and a half months later that Newsweek then validated my story by saying that there were actual U.S. Army commandos, as they said it in their headline. It was a January 3rd article of 2022, one year after the event. Uh, that said that commandos were in the crowd with, quote-unquote, shoot-to-kill orders. This was a Newsweek story. They got that information from an FBI leak, and then they also discussed that there were commando units or basically SWAT teams, tactical teams from every three-letter agency uh, that the federal government has that were being held on site or close to the Capitol in case there were um, problems to be dealt with. Right, again, not something nefarious, not not anything that we need to be wor worried about, but maybe a, a proper exercise of caution, that sort of thing. Well, uh, my my research and my investigations into that one area led me into an interview that I had last week. Now, understand, I am dealing with January 6th issues last week, and I was not only able to further verify that this particular unit that I had identified from U.S. Special Forces were involved in the crowd on January 6th, but that the same exact unit, and this is what was on your list of things possibly to talk about today, was, you know, some uh, some other Ukrainian corruption items that you had on your list. For instance, Zelensky possibly buying diesel fuel from Russia, <laughs> their enemy, the country that is in, has, is invading them as we speak and using U.S. money uh, that we've sent over there, siphoned off of that to buy diesel fuel directly from their enemy. By the way, that um, story is confirmed today by multiple sources, so it actually did happen. The story, in case you yeah, didn't hear it, well, folks, is Vladimir Putin uh, is selling cut-rate oil, diesel, basically, to Volodymyr Zelensky. The, the, the presidents of the two countries that are at war are buying and selling from each other. And Ukraine is using some of our money to pay for it. And this is a confirmed report, again, from whistleblowers. Up to $400 million of that money has been skimmed off the top by Volodymyr Zelensky. Fact. It's happened. So we know that Ukraine is the most corrupt nation in Europe, the most corrupt government in Europe. And we know beyond any shadow of a doubt, despite what the, the, the mainstream media would want to cover up and would want to divert from and say otherwise, is that we have um, 
tremendous number of connections of her own lawmakers all the way up to the White House, including President Biden, who have been involved in the corrupt activities uh, and intersections in Ukraine for many, many years now. And so while I'm investigating issues related to January 6th, investigating issues related to uh, special forces operatives who were involved on January 6th, for whatever reason they were there, I discovered that the same unit that I identified as being in the Ukraine, I'm sorry, identified as being uh, in ca- at the Capitol on January 6th, was also involved in the overthrow of a Ukrainian election at the behest of the United States State Department to put into office the president of our choice. And this is not unusual either, folks. This is not some weird conspiracy theory. The United States is known as being the number one. This is, this is and you can look this up in, in virtually any um, mainstream news source. This is not coming from some, you know, a far out uh, right wing uh, conspiratorial rag, but it is known that the United States interferes in foreign elections more than any other country in the world. We love saying Russia, 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 but the United States has an entire list of nations with whom we have interfered with their elections. And uh, I believe it was President Obama, Obama who even admitted one time that we had, in fact, interfered with the elections in Syria. And so it's, it's clearly on the record. It's not in dispute. But in this particular case, I have just <laughs> accidentally stumbled on in my January 6th investigations about this particular special forces unit that not only were they, in fact, there and operating at the Capitol on January 6th, but they were specifically tasked with the manipulation of an election in Ukraine to seat our government's choice as president over there. This happened during the Obama administration, and it is a uh, now an ongoing sideline investigation that I'm working on. And I hope to have a lot more detail about it here soon as uh, the the subsequent um, interviews take place related to what I discovered last week. And uh, you got the uh, you got the front line scoop uh, here on TNN Live today, Dan. <laughs> well, hey, you uh, you always bring us very well vetted, investigated, and uh, confirmed stories, and that's why. To be quite honest with you. You're on this show not because I'm just a good guy, but because you're a fact guy. And you're one of the few out there that aren't looking for a personal scoop for some type of uh, leg up in our business. But you're one of those truth seekers that just want cold, hard facts. And uh, I thank you for that. I appreciate you sharing that with us today. And it kind of goes back to our good friend that, you haven't met yet, I don't think, Dunstan Teo, who told us, I guess, gosh, he's been on our show four times now. Um, He told us, I think, a month and a half ago, maybe two months ago, when the Sam Bankman freed the the big scam that happened with that cryptocurrency exchange, he told us, Mm -hmm. factually, he knew that at least half of the cash the cold, hard U.S. dollar cash that was sent to Ukraine that 
President Biden bragged about. It didn't go as cash. It wasn't wire transferred. It went as cryptocurrency, and a huge chunk of that was skimmed off the top and was transferred in the initial transfer that was supposed to go directly from the U.S. to Ukraine and went a few other addresses before what was left over got there, if you understand what I mean. Right, right. The love of money, Steve, is the root of all evil. You and I both learned that, you and your Sunday school, mine and mine, a long time ago. And it's not money's the root of all evil, the love of money. And look at what's coming out every day, more information about the corruption from top to bottom in our government. And maybe money is not the seed that makes it happen, but it's always right in the middle of it. And here we are, most Americans still trust what we're getting told every day by our government. We've got to get that ship righted. We've got to, Steve. Yeah, absolutely. And that's what we're working on. Buddy, you don't know how much we appreciate you here. And uh, what a great job you're doing. I got to be honest with you. A lot of people don't know this, but I know it factually. You're putting yourself in a really vulnerable spot. Should the bad guys decide... That's enough of Steve Baker and the information that he's giving. Um, we pray for you every day. We do here, and we'll continue to do that. I consider you a good friend and a brother and a patriot, a true patriot. You've got to keep it up, my friend. You've got to. We're going to do it as long as we are allowed to and as long as we can do it uh, uh, without restriction, as long as I'm not in a cell myself or, uh, <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, you know, and you know, I've, I've, I've had the talk with my children. I, I have, I've, yeah. I've had that talk with them. It's, yeah. a, it's, it's a conversation that 99.9% of your audience has never had with their children because they'd never have been put themselves in a position where they need to. Hadn't thought but about it. My kids, yeah. but my, yeah, my, my kids, uh, they know what I'm doing. They know what I'm involved in. They know the, the path that I'm on that, that I've chosen this because I am desperate to leave them and their children, the nation that, you know, you and I grew up in and we're, uh, we're seeing an acceleration. It's, it's almost like we've reached that critical mass point where it's, it's, it's becoming not what we recognize very quickly now at an accelerated pace. And I'm doing everything I can to, um, um, hopefully turn back the clock a little bit. On our way out, just give you this tidbit. I just got a news flash. Congressman Matt Gates has filed something in the House demanding, I don't know if there's any teeth in it, I don't know what it would be, but demanding that the President Biden not only acknowledge that there are American military presence on the ground in the form of soldiers mm-hmm. to mm-hmm. confirm, not if they're there, but to give us the details of how many of them are there on the ground fighting with Ukraine against Russia. What's going to happen next, buddy? <laughs> well, I will, uh, with that, with that in, in, uh, uh, as my exit line, I will, I will tell you that we've had boots on the ground there for a long time. Yeah. All right. Steve Baker, thank you again for a Tuesday uh, offering of news, truth, facts, and information. That's what it's all about. We appreciate you being part of this family, my friend. Thank you, Dan. I really appreciate it. Be safe, okay? 
Shall do. We'll see if not before next week. Steve Baker. All right. Wow. What a patriot. What a friend. Real truth. Real news. TNN. The Truth News Network. Ladies, we ask your forgiveness. Please forgive our immaturity. Our outbursts of tacky compliments. Forgive our browser history. Forgive our hormones taking control of us. Forgive us for thinking an open shirt is the ultimate weapon of appeal. Forgive us for opening our beers like primates. Forgive for taking a no as a yes. For insisting on playing a guitar that doesn't exist. And please, forgive us for never washing our hands, ever. Schneider, the beer with the exact maturity for the man who's in the process. Yo, some people think it don't make sense that I'm a horse whisperer. Fancy prance, yo. But you know what else don't make sense? Bye. I mean, it's good for you, but still somehow tastes amazing. Sideways fancy prance, you heard? Yeah. Clippity-clop, clippity-clop. Yo, I just whispered all of y'all. Too easy. Bye. Five calories, antioxidants, and tastes amazing? None of this makes sense. Computer, execute 12.4p operation. Optimizing algorithm. Running encryption packet alpha. Night, night. Oh, I don't feel so good. What? What is it, computer? Is it hot in here? It feels hot in here? I feel a little clammy. I should lie down or something. A computer with a virus? Surprising. What's not surprising? How much you could save by switching to GEICO. Those oysters Rockefeller were a mistake. GEICO. 15 minutes could save you 15% or more. You know, having a conversation regularly with a guy like Steve Baker, um, it almost is a wake-up call every time he comes on the show. It's like we've been sleeping. We've been in our lane, you know, living our lives, doing the things that we do because we do them, whatever they are. And we don't even realize all these different lanes are full of all kinds of people doing all kinds of things. And yet... Our government is part of these in these lanes and they're doing everything they can to keep what they're doing from being revealed to those of us that they supposedly work for. Isn't that a novel idea? Let me just blow your your mind with another one. Texas, it has been learned, has been secretly giving its citizens incomes the amount that people make an in income to the Bureau of Alcohol, Tobacco, Firearms, and Explosives. If you don't know, that's the long version of ATF. Documents show this has led to at least one person being monitored by the feds without even having a warrant. And they're doing it through the federal gun background check system. What's this all about? The Texas Workforce Commission told the Epic Times, actually the story I'm referring to is from one of Steve Baker's friends at Epic Times. But anyway, the Texas Workforce Commission 
told the Epic Times that it has written contracts with ATF for sharing income information for criminal investigations. The revelation may lead to some oversight by the legislature. You are not supposed to do this if you're the government. Texas State Rep. Briscoe Kane, who's a Republican, is deeply troubled about this coordination with the state's unemployment agency and the federal government. Kane said this, My office will be looking into whether the Texas Workforce Commission is assisting the ATF in the Biden administration's mission to violate the constitutional rights of law-abiding Texans. Hmm. This is the third part in a exclusive Epic Times series on the ATF giving info on innocent suspects to the FBI for daily monitoring through the National Instant Criminal Background Checks System. That's the form that you have to fill out when you go buy a new gun before they can sell you the gun wherever you buy it legally. The FBI uses this database of people who are prohibited from possessing or buying guns. That's their justification, and I get that. I really do. In one of those documents, an ATF agent emailed the FBI that a person suspected of straw purchasing of firearms trafficking needed to be put into the gun background check database. Now, what what straw purchasing is is, hey, you're my, you're my good friend. I've got a bad record. I can't legally buy a gun, but I want to buy that gun, so would you go buy it for me in your name? And you do it, and then you just sell it to the guy for the same amount that you paid for it. Well, that would be kind of a brother-brother a kind of thing. These are more talking about the criminal, the criminal wanting the gun but not being able to buy it. The agent wrote that per Texas Workforce Commission, the man's reported wage earnings with the state of Texas don't appear to supply the financial means to even buy the firearms that were purchased. In a way, I understand that. But then once again, what about individual rights for Americans that we were telling our government in those 10 amendments to the Constitution that they have no rights at all, the government, unless we specifically delineate what the rights are and all the conditions of them that we will allow them to use that are ours. This agent requested on December 28th of 2020 that the Texans' gun purchases be monitored daily for three months. However, the FBI wrote to ATF that its agents could request an extension of the monitoring for as long as they wanted to. Texas's role in the program was uncovered in the ATF's ninth production of documents as part of a Freedom Information Act lawsuit. The 42 pages are more heavily redacted than the previous ones that were given. There are seven pages of blacked-out information before the source of the income of the person in Texas is shown as the Texas Workforce Commission. One would think that a pro-gun state like Texas would not be handing over gun owners' confidential financial information to the feds without a warrant or likely even without probable cause, which you're supposed to have and show the judge 
to get the judge to issue a warrant for that info. So where's all this going? And we're talking about Texas. Texas is one of the freest Second Amendment states there is. A spokeswoman for the Texas Workforce Commission said, federal and state law provides a path for sharing income information with the feds if the federal specific agency can establish a purpose that is permissible under law and enters into a written agreement which sets forth legal requirements regarding allowable use and protection of the information. She also said a warrant to release salary information is not required by law. In case you forgot, Texas doesn't have a state income tax. Employers report wages to the Texas Work Commission in order to determine their unemployment taxes. So it's the state's only source to track income. So ask how many times the TWC has given out this citizen income information. The spokeswoman said it provides this information to the ATF pursuant to two contracts, one in Dallas and one in Houston. She said income was shared for any of these purposes, to assist in criminal investigations, to assist in locating defendants, witnesses, and fugitives in criminal cases, and to assist in locating persons with outstanding warrants. Why did I bring you this information? To let you know it's out there and let you know that across the nation, all 50 states and also in Puerto Rico, we are all the subject of big government every day doing anything and everything that they feel is necessary to slip in, not outwardly take control of our uh, personal lives, but to surreptitiously be able to look into our lives and find out stuff without using the legal constitutional process for doing so. And if you can do it in Texas and get the Texas government to cooperate with you up in Washington, D.C., let me just say this. It isn't good for the American people to realize this is happening to us. And what can we do about it? I don't want to end the show today without letting you hear from Elon Musk. He was on Tucker's show talking about artificial in, in, uh, intelligence, the AI stuff. And, and I got to be honest with you, it's creepy to me. All this AI stuff is creepy to me. But I know it's real. And I know it's coming. And so Tucker wanted to find out what really is going on in AI and what better person to go to that would be honest about it than Elon Musk. So all of a sudden, AI is everywhere. People who weren't quite sure what it was are playing with it on their phones. Is that good or bad? Yeah, so I've been um, thinking about AI for a long time since I was in college, really. Um, it was one of the things that, the sort of four or five things I thought would really uh, affect the future dramatically. It, it is fundamentally profound in that the, the the smartest creatures, as far as you know, on this earth are humans, um, is our defining characteristic. Yes. Um, we're obviously uh, weaker than, say, chimpanzees and less agile, um, but we are smarter. 
So uh, now what happens when something uh, vastly smarter than the smartest person uh, comes along in silicon form? Uh, it's very difficult to predict what will happen in that circumstance. It's called the singularity. It's, you know, it's a singularity like a black hole because yes. you, you don't know what happens after that. It's hard to predict. So I think we should be cautious with uh, AI um, and we should, I think there should be some government oversight uh, because it affects the, it, it's a danger to the public. And so when you, when you have things that are a danger to the public, uh, you know, like let's say, um, so food, food and drugs, that's why we have the Food and Drug Administration right. and the uh, Federal Aviation Administration, uh, the FCC, uh, we have we have these agencies to oversee things that uh, affect the public, where there, there could be public harm, um, and you don't want companies cutting corners uh, on safety, um, and then having people suffer as a result. So uh, that, that's why I've actually for a long time been a strong advocate of uh, AI uh, regulation. Um, so that I think regulation is. Uh, f you know, I, it's, it's not fun to be regulated. It's, it's sort of uh, somewhat of a somewhat arduous to be to be, to be regulated. Um, I have a lot of experience with regula regulated industries because obviously uh, automotive is hi highly regulated. You could fill this room with all the regulations that uh, are required for a production car just in the United States, and then there's a whole different set of regulations in Europe and China and the rest of the world. So, uh, very familiar with being overseen by a lot of regulators. Um, and the same thing is true with rockets. You can't just willy-nilly you know, shoot rockets off, not big ones anyway, because um, the FAA is, uh, oversees that. Um, and then even to get a launch license, you, there, there are probably ha half a dozen or more uh, federal agencies that need to approve it, uh, plus state agencies. So it's, it, I'm, I'm, I've been through so many regulatory uh, situations, it's insane. And, and the, the, you know, sometimes I, I, people think I'm some sort of like, regulatory maverick that sort of defies regulators uh, on a regular basis. But this is actually not the case. Uh, so uh, in, you know, once in a blue moon, rarely I will disagree with regulators. But the vast majority of the time, uh, my, my companies agree with the regulations and comply. Uh, so anyway, so I think, I think we should uh, take this seriously and, and we should have um, uh, a, a regulatory agency. I think it needs to start with... Um, a group that initially seeks uh, insight uh, into AI, uh, then solicits opinion from industry, uh, and then pro has proposed rulemaking, and then those rules, you know, uh, will probably, hopefully, grudgingly be accepted by uh, the, the major players in, in, in AI, and, um, and we, we, I think we'll have a better chance of. of um, advanced AI being beneficial to humanity in that circumstance. So, but all regulations start with a perceived danger, and planes fall out of the sky, or food causes botulism. Yes. I don't think the average person yes. playing with AI on his iPhone perceives any danger. Can you just roughly explain what you think the dangers might be? Yeah, so the, 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 the danger, uh, really, AI is um, perhaps uh, more dangerous than, say, mismanaged uh, aircraft design or production maintenance or, or, or bad car production uh, in the sense that it is, it has the potential, uh, however small one may regard that probability, but it is 
non-trivial, it has the potential of civilizational destruction. There's movies like Terminator, but I, it wouldn't quite happen like Terminator um, because the, the intelligence would be in the data centers. Right. Uh, the robot's just the end effector. But I think perhaps uh, what you may be alluding to here is that um, regulations are really only put into effect after something terrible has happened. That's correct. If that's the case for AI and we're only putting regulations after something terrible has happened, it may be too late to actually put the regulations in place. The AI may be in control at that point. You think... That's real. It is, it is conceivable that AI could take control and reach a point where you couldn't turn it off and it would be making, making the decisions for people. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. No, it's, that's, the, that's definitely the, where things are headed, uh, for sure. Uh, I mean, um, the, the, the things like, like say, uh, ChatGPT, which is uh, based on GPT-4 from OpenAI, which right. is a company that I... Uh, Played a, uh, a critical role in in creating, unfortunately. Uh, Back when it was a nonprofit. <sighs> yes, um, I mean the the the, the reason uh, OpenAI exists at all is that um, Larry Page and I used to be close friends, and I would yes. stay at his house in Palo Alto, and I would talk to him late into the night about uh, AI safety, and at least my perception was that Larry was not taking uh, AI safety uh, seriously enough. Um, and, um, what did he say about it? He really seemed to be um, once, once sort of digital superintelligence, basically digital god, if you will, uh, uh, as soon as possible. Um, he wanted that? Yes. He's, he's made many public statements over the years uh, that, that the whole goal of Google is uh, uh, what's called AGI, artificial general intelligence or artificial superintelligence. No, and I, and I agree with him that the, there's great potential for good, um, but there's also potential for bad. And so if, if you've got some um, radical new technology, you want to try to take the set of actions that maximize probably it, it will do good and minimize probably it will do bad things. Yes. Um, it, it can't just be helpful leather. Let's just go, you know, barreling forward and, you know, hope for the best. And then at one point uh, I said, well, what about, you know, we've got to make sure humanity's okay here. Um, <laughs> and 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 um, uh, and then he called me a speciesist. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> did he use, did he use that term? Yes. And there were witnesses. I wasn't the only one there when he called me a speciesist. And so I was like, okay, that's it. Uh, I've yes, I'm a speciesist. Okay, you got me. <laughs> what are you? <laughs> yeah, I'm fully a speciesist. Um, busted. Um, <laughs> So um, that was the last straw. At the time, uh, Google uh, had acquired DeepMind, and so Google and DeepMind together had about three quarters of all the uh, AI talent in the world. They obviously had a tremendous amount of money and uh, more computers than anyone else. So I'm like, okay, we're, we're a unipolar world here, where there's just one one company that has close to a monopoly on uh, AI talent and uh, and, and computers, uh, like so scaled computing, and person who's in, in charge doesn't seem to care about safety. This is not good. So, uh, so then I thought, what's, what's the, the furthest thing from Google? Would be like a non-profit uh, yeah. that is fully open, because Google was closed uh, for profit. So that's why the open and open AI refers to open source, uh, you know, transparency, so people know what's going on. Yes. And that it, it, we don't want to have like a, a I mean, while I'm normally in favor of for-profit, we don't want this to be sort of a profit-maximizing demon course. from hell. That's you know? right. <laughs> that just never stops. Right. <laughs> so 
That, that's how OpenAI was. Would, would. So you want specious incentives here, incentives that yes, like, I think we want humanity. we want pro-human. Yeah. Let's make the future good for the humans. Yes. Yes, because we're humans. So can you just put it? I keep pressing you, but just just for people who haven't thought this through and aren't familiar with it, and the cool parts of of artificial intelligence are so obvious. You know, write your college paper for you, write a limerick about yourself. <laughs> yeah. Like, there's a lot there that's fun and useful. But can you be more precise about what's potentially dangerous and scary? Like, what could it do? What specifically are you worried about? Okay, going with old sayings, the pen is mightier than the sword. Um, so, the, if you have um, a super intelligent uh, AI that is capable of writing uh, incredibly well and, and in a way that is very influential, um, you know, convincing, uh, and then and, and is and is constantly figuring out what is more, what is more what is more convincing to people over time, and then enters social media, for example, Twitter, uh, but also Facebook and others, you know, um, and and potentially manipulates public opinion in a way that is very bad. Um, how would we even know? How do we even know? So to sum up, in the words of Elon Musk, for all human history, human beings have been the smartest beings on the planet. Now human beings have created something that is far smarter than they are. And the consequences of that are impossible to predict. And the people who created it don't care. In fact, as he put it, Google founder Larry Page, a former friend of his, is looking to build a, quote, digital god and believes that anybody who's worried about that is a speciesist. In other words, is looking out for human beings first. Elon Musk responded, as a human being, it's okay to look out for human beings first. And then at the end, he said, the real problem with AI is not simply that it will jump the boundaries and become autonomous and you can't turn it off. In the short term, the problem with AI is that it might control your brain through words. And this is the application that we need to worry about now, particularly going into the next presidential election. The Democratic Party, as usual, was ahead of the curve on this. They've been thinking about how to harness AI for political power. More on that next. Wow. We knew there was more to it than what we were being told. Artificial intelligence, AI. Pretty much everything that comes out now that's created by men has good applications and bad applications. Sadly, today, in many cases, looks like evil is carrying the day. I want to thank you for being here with us today, every day, but today especially. We'll be back from Miami tomorrow morning between now and then. Just breathe easy. <laughs> Have a great day, and don't sweat the little things. Be happy. Be fearless. Don't let fear overtake you. Somebody much smarter than me, who's no longer with us, doubled and tripled down on being happy. And not just being happy ourselves, but sharing the happiness with others. It's so important to make someone happy Make just one someone happy Make just one heart to heart you You sing to one 
smile that cheers you One face that lights when it nears you One girl, you're You're everything To fail If you win it Comes and goes in a minute Where's the real stuff in life To cling to Love is the answer Someone to love is the answer Once you found her Build your world around her Someone happy Make just one Someone happy And you Will be happy too